on in. It is a Wear Red Friday edition of the EP Podcast. I'm Austin Horton, your host. Thanks for tuning in. Really do appreciate it. Thanks for downloading and listening on Wednesday. Had my wife and uh, with some help of our two-year-old in the background uh, on on Wednesday to talk about why she's a Ute fan but was raised in a Cougar household, uh, why we're excited as uh, a family for the NBA's return, and all kinds of uh, silliness there with my wife. It was fun to see the download numbers for that. So, And she was really nervous to do it, so thanks for listening and making it uh, a good uh, experience for us. We appreciate it. We've got this uh, day in sports history coming up in just a moment. I'm going to try and do something new going forward on Wear Red Friday. Of course, if you've uh, just joined us for the first time, Wear Red is uh, something you do to remember everyone deployed, R-E-D, remember everyone deployed. So on Fridays, you wear a red shirt, red hat, red pants, anything red, and it helps you and others remember everyone that is deployed. And I'm going to try to highlight or spotlight uh, some soldiers around our great country who uh, are are, uh, serving a deployment. Now, I can't give out locations uh, because of intelligence, but I can uh, take nominations for your friends and family and neighbors who have been deployed, give their name, uh, maybe their, their likes and interests, and just kind of spotlight them for a moment and give them some recognition for their dutiful service. So going forward, hopefully by next week, I'll have a, a list of deployments to uh, pay honor to and, and thank here on a Friday. But we've got Shaq and Charles Barkley going uh, at each other over the NBA top 10 all-time player list that sh- uh, that uh, Chuck came out with and Shaq had, took issue with it. It, it launched another uh, meltdown in my brain of every time Jake Scott tries to tell me and you that Shaquille O'Neal does not have any basketball skills, he's just a very large person. And it, it drives me absolutely uh, batty. So we'll, we'll visit that. We'll visit some sound from Mark Harlan, athletic director at the University of Utah, as college football is in decision hour pretty much here in the next uh, coming days as they've got to get training camps opened if they're going to have a season. We'll see how that goes. And you'll hear some jazz availability as they wrapped practice number one on Thursday in Orlando. They've got availability coming up Friday night but after we've gone off air. So that and so much more to get to here on Aware Red Friday. But we're going to start first and foremost, as we do each and every day, with this day in sports history. July 10th, this day in sports history, some pretty historic things took place. 1953, Ben Hogan won the British Open by four strokes at the Carnoustie Golf Links in Carnoustie, Scotland. My One of my favorite links to play on the old Tiger Woods video game, Carnoustie. 1991, the International Cricket Council readmitted the South African cricket team after the country repealed its apartheid law. 2010, David Reuterman won the LifeLock.com 400 at Chicagoland Speedway in Joliet, Illinois. 1934, National League pitcher Carl Hubble struck out five future Hall of Famers, including Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, Jimmy Fox, Al Simmons, and Joe Cronin. In a row in the Major League Baseball All-Star Game at New York's Polo Grounds, the American League won 9-7, but Hubble's All-Star Game record for consecutive strikeouts has never been surpassed. It has been tied several times. And then this moment, July 10th, 
1999, when Brandy Chastain and the U.S. Women's National Team showed the boys how it's done. It was in slow motion, but I could see it, like almost see the ball not rotating and just hitting the back of it. And then it was like, and you see all the colors and, you know, <laughs> you're giving your celebration and then the team is on top of you. Own goal villain to World Cup winner in a matter of days. Brandy Chastain's penalty and celebration were seen all over the world. A captivated nation rejoiced, and this time the public did know all about their team's World Cup heroics. Still remember where I was when that, watching that uh, moment take place. 1999, unbelievable. 21 years ago today, Brandy Chastain in the U.S. beat China 5-4 to four at the Rose Bowl, winning the FIFA Women's World Cup. Uh, her celebration after the goal, obviously one of the most iconic moments in sports history. There was 90,185 people in the stadium, and that made up the largest crowd to ever watch a women's sporting event to date. So thank you for that moment. What an incredible uh, moment in sports history, and that makes, a, makes for a pretty good this day in sports history to start off a Friday edition of the EP Podcast. Okay, so uh, for a long time now, Jake Scott has tried to convince me and you and everybody that Shaquille O'Neal is an overrated basketball player. And I, I am going to a little bit put words in Jake's mouth, but the sentiment will remain uh, similar enough to what he believes and feels that Shaquille O'Neal is just a big, giant man and therefore was able to score a lot of points and move people around with ease in the NBA. And that's what made him... Uh, that's what made him a, a name was not necessarily his skills, but his size and the way that the game was and wasn't called with Shaquille O'Neal in it. That's Jake Scott's argument. My argument is that's ridiculous. Uh, it, it's not entirely ridiculous. You do have to pay note and, and tip your cap and, and uh, at least acknowledge that nobody has ever and I don't think ever will be as much of a physical feat and sight as Shaquille O'Neal was in a basketball uniform or just in life in general to be that big and yet that nimble uh, and that's where Jake forgets himself a little bit or that's kind of rude I don't mean forgets himself but uh, that's where he messes up a bit as he forgets to acknowledge that Shaquille O'Neal was very very skilled and very athletic his foot his feet work feet work footwork his footwork in and around the post was unmatched and still I haven't seen anyone with the the finesse uh, that that Shaquille O'Neal possessed. The way he handled the ball and passed the ball, his screen setting, his rebounding, his ferocity when he dunked the ball, his overall dominance, he was so dominant. No one ever has been and never will be as dominant as Shaquille O'Neal. And if you don't want to buy into all that, he is ninth. Is he ninth all time or eighth all time? I think he's eighth all time on the all time scoring list, having scored twenty eight thousand five hundred and ninety six points. Players ahead of him, the only seven ahead of him. How, how about these names? Wilt Chamberlain, Dirk Nowitzki, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, Karl Malone, and Kareem Abdul Jabbar are the only seven players in the NBA's history that rank ahead of Shaquille O'Neal in all-time scoring. The one thing I would note, though, is that Shaquille O'Neal missed uh, nearly 6,000 free throws 
uh, <laughs> in his career. He took 11,252 and made only 5,935, meaning he left some almost 6,000 points on the, the board, 5,800 and, and, and something. That he Had he made every free throw he ever took, he would be up among the top five scorers of all time. But to be fair, let's just take from his rookie year of 92-93 through his final season of 2010-2011 and take the league average for free throw shooting percentage over that span of, what was that, 19 seasons? And that comes out to... 74.8%. So then if you take, we'll round it to 75, if you take 75% of Shaquille O'Neal's attempted 11,252 free throws and assume that he made 75%, the league average, if he was able to have at least been average during his career at free throw shooting, then you get an extra 2,841 points that he actually ended up uh, leaving on the board it, to be a little more fair and balanced. So if he is eighth all time in the NBA all scoring list with uh, 28,596 points, but he left 2,841 points on the board, let's add those to that 28,000 number. And suddenly he's now seventh all time. It's not that big of a difference. Shaquille O'Neal would simply switch places with Wilt Chamberlain, and he would only do so by 18 points. Wilt Chamberlain would, would be 8th with 31,419. Shaquille O'Neal would be 7th with 31,437. Not that big of a jump. So if, if people want to, if you're trying to argue that Shaquille O'Neal is a lot better than someone like Jake Scott believes, and you point out how many points they have and they say well he also missed uh, more than half of his free throws he took true but even if he had made the league average during his 19 seasons in the NBA at free throws he still would be right about where he is now all-time scoring list he'd leapfrog eighth to seventh <laughs> it's not that big of a change so the, the overall point remains Shaquille O'Neal the most dominant most incredible center in NBA history, in my humble opinion. However, when you're ranking overall players, I don't think he belongs in the top 10. Neither does Charles Barkley, and Shaquille O'Neal doesn't like it. Kenny, you know my top 10. Michael, Oscar, okay. Bill Russell, Kareem, and Wilt, Kobe, LeBron, Jerry West, Elgin Baylor, and then you got Magic and Bird right there. We Are said, you hey, me, Chuck? Top I'm not in your top 10, ten position. <laughs> right. You're not in, Shaq is not in your top 10. When have you ever seen, now, I'm, no. Shaq, I'm not blowing smoke because he's here. When have you ever Shaq, seen anyone Shaq? like Shaq? I've never seen anybody like Shaq, ever. Is. Shaq is the most dominant big man ever, in my opinion. But... Okay, I, I put him behind Magic and Bird, LeBron and Kobe. I didn't put him behind nobody like crazy. Like, <laughs> I'm not saying, no, you didn't even say yeah. Shaq. You did not say Shaq. Yeah, you didn't. Oh, you, at all. Shaq, you did you not say, say my Shaq. name hey, at all. Shaq, no, 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 no. I'm saying Shaq is right there 
11, 12, 13. Oh, my oh, gosh. Oh, that me? shit, Shaq. Are you kidding me? Oh, hey. If you get, Chuck, uh, you, you get know what? every time. But, but Chuck, Chuck, you know what? I miss you and all, but I ain't going to argue with you. You got two options. When you get back here, you face this, or you take all your clothes off and you jump in that damn lake, lake river, ocean, whatever it is, and you hold your breath for 30 lake minutes. Lake Tahoe. But when I see you, I'm putting these hands on you. I'm not in your top 10. Are you kidding me? <laughs> so the, the point here is whether you agree or disagree that Shaquille O'Neal is not a top 10 all-time NBA player, that's pretty funny right there from Shaquille O'Neal. And that's what makes him one of my favorite sports figures of all time is he's got that charisma and that personality, and he was so dominant as an athlete. Uh, and, yeah, I know the movie Kazam is no good, but I love it. And I know that Shaq Diesel, his rap album, was no good, but I love it. I just love Shaquille O'Neal. And he is more, for, by all accounts and purposes, he has done a lot of good with his celebritous and, and money uh, during his life. And he comes from good stock, good military family. And I, I love Shaquille O'Neal. But funny exchange there between Shaq and Sir Charles as <laughs> Barkley leaves Shaq off his top 10 all-time NBA list. Well, let's get to a few sound bites here from University of Utah Athletics Director Mark Harlan. He joined DJ and actually Gordon Monson on Friday morning. Gordon was filling in for uh, Patrick Kinahan. But on the DJ and PK show with uh, Mark Harlan joined uh, as I, I don't know why I'm repeating that. Mark Harlan, you know who he is. You know, the U of U's Athletic Director, okay? He was on the DJ and PK show with DJ and Gordon filling in for PK. There. Whew, made it. And these were the, the four sound bites that I thought stood out above all others for me because college football, like everything in our lives right now, is in decision mode. You've got to make some calls in an unknown present or, or, or rather a, a uncomfortable present for an unknown future and nobody's going to do it correctly there's there's not one entity or person who is going to make a long-term decision right now that will end up being perfect in the future the idea is to try and control everything you can control that's why by the way i'm pro mask because that's one thing you can control is wearing a damn mask but I, i i forget my place uh, and I, we need to stick to sports here for a moment. Uh, but the idea here with uh, you see the Big Ten, you saw the uh, Division Three school, the MAC, uh, the MAC conference, the Division Three one, not the Mid America Conference. Uh, you've seen a, a bunch of conferences considering and some deciding to uh, get rid of non-conference schedules this coming fall. And that has already affected BYU will lose its games against Michigan State and Minnesota this coming season. So they've got to fill in those two gaps at least right now. But if the Pac-12 goes down that road as well, that could mean another Pac-12. That could mean three more, I think, for for BYU. If not two, they've got Utah and uh, is it Arizona State on their schedule this season? Let's take a look. BYU football 2020 schedule. Uh, they've got Utah and Arizona State, yeah, uh, from the, the Pac-12 on their schedule. this se- Oh, and Stanford. So that would be three more. That would leave them with five holes to fill. 
if the Pac-12 does the, the same thing and eliminates non-conference games. So that's where I wanted to start was with Mark Harlan. He was asked, if the Pac-12 decides non-conference games are gone, what will his school do? Well, at this point, nothing's off the table. I mean, the league has not voted for a conference-only model. We haven't done that, contrary to to reports. We're obviously continuing to meet, and it's certainly a possibility. But I think the best way I can answer that question is we will go as our conference goes. And if a model comes out that is a a 9 plus 1, you know, type model, then that could be a possibility. Your plus 1 could, could, uh, you know, be a non-con opponent from a local region. But we're going to go as the conference goes, and, you know, depending on the uh, decision, Decision-making in that regard will, will follow suit. So being that the University of Utah will fall in step with the Pac-12's uh, marching order, so to speak, and eliminate non-conference games, what would that mean for the rivalry game that's supposed to start our college football lives on September 3rd at Rice-Eccles Stadium with the BYU Cougars in Salt Lake City taking on the Utes? Here's what Mark Harlan said about that. I texted Tom last night. You know, he's a he's a uh, he's a he's a friend and a colleague. And we've in the 24 months I've worked here, we've had a lot of different partnership things. And I, I just want to keep him up to speed on where things go. Um, he's a pro. He he understands that it could go in that direction, and and we would just work collaboratively to figure out what we would do going forward. But obviously, as I've stated before, it's a great game for the Utes, and uh, a lot of our fans get excited about it. Our kids love love playing in those games, but we're just going to have to wait and see what happens. Mark Harlan has been really, really good at understanding, grasping, accepting, and adopting the importance of that rivalry game to our our economy, to our culture, to our sports fandom, and our national place in the college football world since he got to the University of Utah. And I think that he and Tom Homo have struck a good enough relationship that they can figure something out. Will it be an official sanctioned game? I don't know. Will it end up being more like a, a flag football fun little scrimmage of some kind for charity? Who knows? But I do know that I trust that Mark Harlan cares about that rivalry between BYU and Utah. And that really matters because Utah kind of holds all the cards right now in a lot of ways, both on the field and off the field when it comes to that rivalry game and its history and whether or not it will continue annually. So, is it going to happen? Right now it's still on the books for September 3rd. But we'll see how the days and hours progress, and the minutes really, recording this Friday afternoon at 12.55 p.m. Mountain Time. Maybe something else has already changed by the time you listen to this. I don't know. He was also asked, Mark Harlan, about how long... It will take his and other schools to ramp up and get ready to play football and uh, what issues face that time period now that we're uh, midway through July, essentially. Yeah, I mean, that's the question I think about a lot myself. You know, I'm on the football oversight committee on the national group, and we've, we've talked about, you know, when we were putting together the six-week return to, to play plan, we, we often talked about, you know, what are the minimum standards? And, you know, that ranged from four to six weeks to, to have these young people at this type of a level uh, be able to be ready to play. So, you know, we know right now we, we've had student-athletes back at most of our campuses, but in our footprint, not all. At Utah, we have our entire football team back and volunteer workouts next week. 
week starts the eight-hour period where our coaches can finally now start working with them, you know, within a classroom setting. But as you move the calendar forward, in my mind, if you don't have at least four solid weeks in front of that game to to be out there and practice, right? We still have to figure out how do we practice, right? Last time I checked, contact, sport, those kind of things. we got to figure all that out. If you don't have four weeks before that game, it's hard to imagine conducting a football game. And the safety of our, of our students becomes outside of COVID at that point. It becomes just their bodies being prepared. So if, for example, uh, the first week in September, we're not able to do contact-type practices and it's three weeks before the game, you just can't imagine having that, that football game on that Saturday. So to me, that's always been kind of the, the sliding sliding scale as, as it will. And if I know you guys keep track of our conference. If you look at L.A. County and certainly some other places, they're just not able to do anything right now. And I don't know when that's going to change. So that's the challenge. And of course, even when if you start the season, you know, how do you manage if you get, get some kids sick, if you get some kids that have to quarantine? What if you lose a whole position group? How do you travel? You know, these are the things that uh, there's no book to pull out and, and read, but these are the things we know that are coming. So it's quite it's quite overwhelming when you think about all the different possibilities. So right now, we're just going to control what we can and have our kids safe during this volunteer period and, and see what uh, what comes next. I just, I don't, it's got to kind of be every conference for itself is what I think is going to have to happen for college football this, this fall. Uh, because every city, county, state, and region uh, across this great country of ours are handling the coronavirus differently. They have different restrictions, different stipulations, different levels of restrictions and stipulations. Uh, and I don't know how you can uh, mix and match people across different parts of the country or even sometimes, like, like you said, you may have problems in conference. In fact, you will have problems in conference because California and uh, Arizona are completely different in how they have handled and are handling this pandemic. So it'll be interesting to see how that headache and mess gets worked out. Speaking of headaches and speaking of messes, Larry Scott has been abysmal as the athletics director, or excuse me, the commissioner of the Pac-12 conference. He's the highest paid by a mile commissioner in all of, uh, all of college athletics. And yet his, t- his conference, though they are of the power five, they are a distant, distant five when it comes to monies earned every single year, revenue, return on investment. And uh, they asked Mark Harlan on the DJ and PK show Friday morning his thoughts on Larry Scott's leadership. No, I appreciate the question. You know, I've, I've had a really interesting lens into the conference for, for so many years at three different institutions, you know, and, and you know, basically kind of growing up in this conference. And I've been around Commissioner Scott since the day that, that he came in. Since I got back to, to the conference now two years ago here at University of Utah, uh, we certainly had a very, very difficult moment a year and a half ago, you know, with one of our, our you know, let's just call it what it is, the officiating scandal at, at the Washington state usc game i think there was a defining moment uh in the conference with the athletic directors with commissioner scott what i've seen really since that moment is a real transparent collaborative environment and it's really been amplified during the COVID. i I give uh, larry a lot of credit from the moment march hit and we were all in vegas and trying to get out of there and, and get back to our campuses he has been just a fantastic leader in in pulling us together i mean three or four times a week meetings really being 
being in the forefront of providing all the information our campuses have needed. So I've been really, really honored to, to work with him and his team during during this process. So there certainly has been, quite candidly, uh, a, a lot of really good work done by him and his team during this period. Am I frustrated that we have less money than the others? Of course. Who, who wouldn't be frustrated when you're expected to beat those guys every time out in any sport? That's my expect expectations of, of the youth. So yeah, so we have to we have to figure that one out, Gordon. We've got two year runway here till to the next TV deal. We've got an incredible uh, group of schools, historic, and we have got to put our best foot forward to be able to to uh, you know I don't want to just catch up. I'm not in this business to catch up and tie people. You know we got we got to put our value out there and 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 be the very best we we can be. And that that has to happen. So uh, yeah, I'm frustrated with that piece. Who wouldn't be? But I'm also very excited about. Uh, the future deal and what it could bring. Uh, I've been on the record long time saying Larry Scott needs to go for the Pac-12 to be considered among the Power Five, really. Uh, to not be, it, it shouldn't be SEC, uh, SEC, SEC, <laughs> Big Ten slash Big 12, ACC, and then Pac-12, uh, like really eighth or ninth, if we're being serious. They should be making a lot better money and getting better return on their investment than they are. A lot of financial decisions that Larry Scott has made are ridiculous. A lot of personal decisions he's made are ridiculous. And I think the Pac-12 would be much better off finding themselves a new boss. But that would mean they have to pay out Larry Scott's contract for him to do nothing. So we'll see how that goes. But there you go. Athletic Director for the University of Utah, Mark Harlan. Check out that interview with DJ and PK Show in its entirety at 1280thezone.com. Okay, final bit of news here on a Wear Red Friday edition of the EP podcast. The Utah Jazz are officially in the quote-unquote bubble in Orlando at the ESPN Walt Disney Wide World of Sports Complexes. Yesterday they had their first practice of the Orlando session and Mike Conley, Rudy Gobert and Quinn Snyder all spoke to the media after that availability but I just want to play this two minute response from Coach Snyder. He was asked by uh, Ryan McDonald my good friend, my uh, good friend reporter from the Desert News, just about his overall initial thoughts and reaction to entering the enclosure of the wide world of sports and what he's feeling as his team embarks on this very unique, hopefully once-in-a-lifetime journey. Well, you know, right when we got here, um, Mark Tatum, uh, you know, met us and, and was talking, and, and I think, you know, one of the first things we talked about was the social justice issues that have been going on in our country in so many levels. And, um, you know, I, I think the perspective that, that we have coming here um, that, that whether it's you know, continuing to keep that dialogue alive and prove it and make progress and people growing and things improving. Um, and then, you know, also to be here um, and have an opportunity to play where, um, you know, I think people you know, are looking forward to, to watching basketball. But, um, you know, th those... All, all those things getting, um, you know, the, the, so the, in general, I think um, there's an appreciation on the part of the players and I know the coaches, but particularly the players that, you know, that although this is a sacrifice, there's opportunities 
um, to do some good things. And, and I think everybody's aware um, of, of what those sacrifices are that you know players are making, whether it's the bubble and, um, and whatnot, to, to do something that I think is bigger than all of us and bigger than basketball in many ways. And, you know, the, the league has done a terrific job you know, of, of organizing all this and um, navigating you know, through this entire period. So, um, you know, I, I think everything that, that you've seen gives you a level of confidence. Um, and at the same time, we understand that there's also things that, you know, you can't control. But, um, you know, we've only been here a short time. We know it's going to be a long time. I'm sure there's going to be things that we deal with, you know, as we go. But, you know, I think there's an opportunity for all of us to do something that, that, that's really good on a, on a lot of different levels. There you go, Coach Snyder. Jazz have more availability tonight around 6 o'clock Mountain. We will hopefully have that for you first thing Monday morning on 1280 The Zone and 97.5 The Zone. That's going to do it for a Wear Red Friday edition of the EP Podcast. I'm Austin Horton. Please have a good weekend. Uh, Catch me on CarSense 10 a.m. Saturday morning on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Wear your red. Remember everyone deployed. I'll catch you on a military Monday coming up next week. Until then, please be good to each other. Time now for the laugh of the day. (laughs) I just got married. Six months in, going pretty good. My wife is a retired homicide detective. She's a detective, a a, a lieutenant homicide detective. My wife has a unique way of making me do things that I don't want to do. Like, I won't wash dishes. Ain't never washed no dishes. Ain't never gonna wash no dishes. That's my thing. I ain't washing no dishes. My wife likes to watch a show called Dateline. You ever seen this show? It's always about a murder, usually a spouse, you know? And they show how the police solved the murder. She likes to watch that show with me. And then at the end of the show, she always go, you know what they did wrong on that show, right? When you bury a body, she put cement over the body. That way the dogs can't smell the body. And you always leave your phone off or leave it at home because when you drive with your phone, the GPS on the towers leaves a ping trail. That's how I would have done it. (laughs) You gonna get them dishes done? (laughs) 